The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. this already it's been a while uh welcome to cardboard cave this is a podcast about uh cardboard <clears throat> it's about board games ever changing every week's different as i figure out what this podcast is going to be and that is very much the case this week because i'm going to get right into it i have a special guest today that honestly i kind of planned from the start to be sort of a almost like a co-host or a tri-host whatever that would be called um <laughs> And the last couple episodes has just been me because it's been hard for me and my wife to record together. And, uh, well, me and this person I'm about to introduce, well, well, we've not been playing many games together because of the coronavirus, you know, destroying everything. Uh, so it's been hard to have them on to talk about games that we haven't been playing. But here's Johnny, uh, my childhood friend, uh, my partner in crime on certain other podcasts like Retro Blist. Uh, Johnny, what's up? <laughs> how do you like that for an introduction it was the greatest one i've ever heard there's nothing could top it and nothing should even try to duplicate it uh yeah we uh literally this past week was the first time we'd seen each other in person in months and it was really weird yeah months yeah yeah you cut off there it sounded like you said month but i think it's been multiple months <laughs> no i said month uh with uh plural yeah um but yeah, it's really strange. Uh, this virus is is a real jerk. What a real jerk it is. Yeah, we, we really should not be on episode 8 or 9 or whatever this is of this podcast before you met Johnny. Because, like I said, it was my vision was it would just be me some episodes. Just when I wanted to talk about something that nobody else would be interested in. And me and Anna, and me and Anna and Johnny on most episodes, honestly. Um and so, speaking of Anna, uh, she'll be down a little bit. She just put our our uh, baby to bed, and uh, she'll be down before she uh, has to talk about some of the games she played. But uh, we finally got together, Johnny. Um, yeah, it was a it was a real will he won't he. Yes, we said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to be rebels. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get but together now, and play some games. But now that we've gotten together, I bet the magic's gone. You know. Yeah. I so mean, that's what usually happens in these shows. That is very true. I mean, uh, as much as I love The Office, like before Jim and Pam were married, there was just something extra there, you know. Yeah. Uh, and now that we've gotten together, it's kind of like you said, just some of the magic's died. But yeah. <laughs> but we actually got to play a couple of games together, meaning you get to be on the show now because that's your rite of passage is actually play a game with me. That makes sense. Yeah. So, for those of you who don't know Johnny, which is probably all of you except for anybody that came from retro bliss johnny is actually a podcasting uh what's the word uh renaissance man i guess <laughs> he just I, he has a podcast about every topic i would say pretty yeah. much i just like to talk that's that's the yes. main issue and i do mean issue it's not a good thing uh, but it, it's it's my own problem and how i deal with it is the fact that i have friends who 
actually aid me and uh, allow me to make podcasts. So it's their fault. I'm taking no responsibility for anything I've ever done in my life. That's that's very true. I can I can say that because I've known Johnny since we were like five six years old, and uh, he's never taken any responsibility for his personal decisions. Right. Um, I take all the credit, none of the responsibility. Exactly. But one reason I want Johnny on here is because not only have we known each other forever, but I think it's just kind of a, a unique dynamic that I've not heard in a lot of board game podcasts where you're very willing. You've even bought some games yourself, but I've always been the board game geek. You know, I'm the one that would make a podcast about it and have a whole collection of games. And you've always sort of, you've been, what I think is actually probably what most board gamers are. If, if you just listen to board game podcast and you're always listening to, uh, to other total geeks in the board game culture, you get this false idea. I think that, that all board gamers have 400 games and talk about them all the time. But I think most gamers who are true gamers, and I'm not saying they're not, are more like you, Johnny. Like they, they own a few games, they play oh, yeah. them whenever they get a chance. And and, and they're I, mostly sad. And like mostly most of the sad, time. sad yeah. human beings. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's really the majority. So I actually love the fact that, and Anna's the same way, my wife. She'll play about any game with me, but she's never researching them on her own. She's never going to read a rule book. <laughs> you know, that's that's me. And so it kind of gives us a unique perspective there. So I'm really excited <laughs> yeah. for you to both be on. Uh, hopefully you don't uh, pick on me too bad because I am a fragile, fragile man, to be honest with you. But well, We're both quite fragile. Uh, but yeah, it's I honestly always have always, especially since you really got into board games years ago, I've always relied on you because you know what my tastes are for you to tell me what games are coming out that I should be looking forward to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so it's worked out great for me. Uh, but I mean, like I will do research once you tell me about a game and I think it sounds interesting. Uh, I do love board games. And I do consider myself a gamer for sure. Uh, yeah, but for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, but compared to your collection, mine's, mine's just a little bitty thing. I got good gosh. I got maybe four or five board games. No, probably a little bit more than that. I got a couple of those deck builder games, but, uh, I have very few and even a couple of them. We've not even, uh, I maybe we maybe have played. Once, one of them we've never played, and it still makes me sad to this day. And part of that problem is, is just I have to be motivated to read a rule book, and if I don't have it and the game's sitting here in front of me, like I, I, I've just got to get obsessed about it. So it's almost this weird thing if I don't own the game and it's not here in front of me, because I would gladly read the rule book for you, but yet it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I just think that's, uh, I've really come around on that line of thinking that, uh, well, I will go ahead and spoil the title of the episode because some people can't read and probably don't know. But Shelf of Shame Part 2, because I'm coming around on this idea, you know what? You don't need, you know, to own hundreds of games to be a gamer. You know, if you just enjoy playing games with your friends that are, I would say, in the hobby gaming territory, you know, the games you play with me are definitely beyond the mass market stuff. So you're 100% a gamer as much as I am. And I'm the reason I'm doing the Shelf of Shame series is I'm actually I've not been very successful so far. I think I've got rid of two or three games, but I'm trying to <laughs> clear my collection down to a smaller number that are games I know are great or that I love. Yeah, just to give people uh, like just an idea of how many games you actually own. If you walk into Trevor's basement, it's a decent sized basement. It's literally a really nice sized basement. 
I would dare say two walls. Well, I, one wall for sure, and another wall that's like a that would probably a re- be like a, a regular wall in a bedroom. Does it make any sense? I'm trying yeah. to get my size here. Yeah. Our bunch is filled to the brim with yeah. board games. They're all you know. They they look really nice. I'm not saying he's got a really nice system down there with shelves and stuff, but. Uh, literally, literally every time I've been down in your basement, I've seen a board game that I know for a fact I've never, we've you've <laughs> never even mentioned to me. <laughs> yeah, and Johnny, I think since you've been over, I have at least one new shelf, so that small wall is now pretty much full. <laughs> <laughs> I am not shocked by this, but yeah. Uh, so Trevor has a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of games. So that's why I don't even feel the need to even buy any. Right. Really, hey, there's no I'm, point in it. That's just my role in our in any group I've been in, which is my groups. I think I mentioned this like in the first episode of the podcast. My groups have always been my friends and my family and whoever I can rope into it. I've been in this hobby longer than most people who do much, much better podcasts than this. But I'm kind of weird, or maybe I'm not weird. Maybe this is normal. I don't know. But I've never been to an actual board game convention. I've only been one time to what I would really consider like a, well... Our friend Adam owned a game shop, and I went to a couple of meetups there. That was pretty cool. And only one other time in my life have I ever been to like a board game meetup. Every other time I've played games, it's been with friends and family, whoever I can rope into it. Um, and so, yeah, despite having a massive collection, I've kind of always shied away from the part of the hobby that's just the, well, the community part, because I'm a sad, isolated, introverted man. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> No, yeah. I'm very glad to be able to share these games with friends and family, and I'm looking forward to you being on more episodes and us actually meeting and playing games more. Yeah, I, I mean, I've all, even since I was a kid, I've I've really liked board games. Of course, my when I was a kid, my my uh, taste in board games were were like Sorry and Monopoly, you know, just the the ones that everybody knows. But uh, and then you uh, brought along a game about trains, and it changed my outlook on board games. Uh, yeah. And I've loved, especially that, that train game ever since. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited to talk about some board games. Uh, however, I do have a bone to, to pick with you. Um, so for this episode, I hope I'm not giving away too much here. But for this episode, <laughs> Trevor had four, I believe it was four, right? Four board yeah. games picked out that he wanted to play with uh, two of them with me and two of them with his wife. And uh, we were going to discuss them. I am beyond certain, and in fact, you even you even said this was true. <laughs> I am beyond certain that I got the worst end of this deal. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's slight spoilers, but I'll go ahead and say that could be true. <laughs> so so and, I'm really I'm really curious what your thoughts are on these two games we played. But let's I'm ready to jump into it. Yeah, and I'll just go and say I feel kind of guilty because. Uh, it's been months since we got together and played a game, and I pulled two games off the shelf that I've not bothered to touch in years because because I couldn't be bothered by them, and that's what I got to play with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, let's get into it. This is the Shelf of Shame Part 2. Four more games, like Johnny mentioned, that I have never played. Each of these games I have owned for multiple years, some of them more than others. And you might think that's crazy, but as I mentioned in the last episode, you'd be surprised when you have a collection of hundreds of games. Let's not assign a number to it or anything petty like that. Uh, <laughs> when you have a collection of hundreds of games, uh, it's easy to just overlook games over and over, which is why I'm doing this. Because I just think uh, sometimes choice can wear you out. Yeah. But these four games, um, 
let's just jump into them in the order we played them. Like, uh, like we said, you played two of them. And Johnny, the first one you played was the one I was the most apprehensive about. Um, and it's called Steam Torpedo. Steam Torpedo First Contact is a game set in like a steampunk universe where you're taking control of submarines and battling against each other. Uh, it's made by Yellow, uh, who's a game company very much still around. And a Coldplay song. Yes. <laughs> um, it is from the year Undisclosed, but it's a couple years old. I don't know why they don't put that in the back. Oh, 2015. There you go. 2015 game. I, I picked this up at Barnes & Noble on one of their clearance sales. Um, and honestly, it's just because it's a two-player game, and I'm always on the lookout for two-player games. It says it plays in 40 minutes. Um, and I think I paid like six bucks for it. I thought, I'm going to give it a chance. So Steam Torpedo, I'll just briefly go over how it plays. Um, basically, you the first part of the game is, is sort of a... I don't want to say like a collectible card game, but sort of you're building your submarine... And um, putting it together. I think it's important to say that it's just a two-player game. Yes, it's a two-player only game. Um, And I think the best way I could describe it is almost like a battling card game, like Magic the Gathering. Except it's not a card game. It uses tiles. You build your submarine out of these tiles, ten tiles apiece, and different tiles have different abilities. And you just battle it out then. And the gameplay itself is um, a, a hodgepodge, honestly. It is actually a little bit of worker placement. Uh, so you're you know, you're putting your little submarine crew onto different spots to do different things within your submarine. Um, the ultimate goal is basically to blow the crap out of your opponent um, to either kill all their crew members or drown them by making them run out of oxygen or to destroy the control center, which is a certain tile. Um... And there's a maneuvering back and forth. Uh, it's I think um, the reason it's so hard to explain is because it plays sort of like a card game, but there's also this element of of positioning. You actually have these cardboard uh, submarine standees, and you have to be like behind a person if you want to shoot your forward firing cannons. You have to be beside them if you want to hit them in the side. Blah blah blah. So it's like this weird mix of um, a card game and almost like a like chess or something, like a strategy game where you're maneuvering around. But the whole thing is very small. I mean, it fits in a box that's uh, like a book-sized box. Um, and yeah, so first one to eliminate their opponent wins. It's, it's very much a take-that battle-type game. Uh, Johnny, uh, what was your... We played this game twice. Uh what was your first impression of it? Oh, by the way, before you do that, Anna's here. Uh, she just walked down. Hey, Johnny. Hey. <laughs> and it's a little awkward um, because we're having to share a pair of earbuds so we can hear Johnny. <laughs> so hey, you uh, want to you want to hear these dulcet tones? Yeah. So uh, I'll just make but, sure Anna leans in the microphone because I think my voice carries a little better. I saw your picture on the computer and I, I didn't know if it was video, so I almost waved to you on the <laughs> computer screen, but. <laughs> Realized quickly that's not what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Trevor, for for this submarine game, uh, I was when I first saw it and you're and I was kind of getting the idea of how to play it. First of all, I would if, unless you tell me it's steampunk, I wouldn't have known it was steampunk. That's a good point. Yeah, um, it's 
I don't even know why. I, I feel like they just threw that word in there to help it sell. Uh, but if you just look at the pieces, like it, it does not to me personally, in my opinion, screams theme book whatsoever. It just feels like a submarine game. Uh, but my hopes were when we started playing this that it was going to be a lot like um, what's that space trucker? What that what that game's called? Galaxy Trucker. Yeah, Galaxy Trucker. Thank you. Yeah, where you're building your own, uh, you know, your own uh, spaceship or submarine in this case, and then you're just taking turns trying to blow each other out of the water. That to me sounds fun. Like I'm all for that. That sounds like a good time. Um, however, when we started playing this, I. I, I just did not feel like I connected with it. Uh, there's there's games that we've played before that I feel are really connected with that I would definitely go back and play again and again and again. We played this twice, and I even won one of those games, uh, but it just I just didn't feel satisfaction. I yeah. uh, you know I did not get no satisfaction as the Rolling Stones once told me, huh. and it's so that uh, that to me was my main issue with it. Now. I'm also concerned with, and you can get more into this, Trevor, with how the rule book, rule book, how the rule book, <laughs> you know, the good old rule book, how that works, uh, but how it's worded and stuff. I don't even know if we were completely playing it correctly. Um, I feel like we probably missed something. I could be wrong. Maybe we were playing it totally right. I don't know. But uh, it just, I felt like there were some things, I think what made me most disappointed with this game was I felt like there was a good game in the bones there. There was something mm-hmm. there. That really could have been really good if they would have made it more like Galaxy Trucker, or um, heck, if I was making this game, and then they, and this is probably just would add to expenses, probably they didn't do it, but I would have <laughs> added even like a third piece, like a little board for the actual submarines to be on, yeah, with, gr- with grids on it to kind of help you out with the, when it comes to place, because placement is very, like you said, placement of your submarines is crazy important in this game. Oh yeah, and uh, it's kind of like we. <laughs> And I swear to you, Trevor and I both know our lefts from our rights, but this game really makes you question that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything you said is totally true. And what makes me so mad about this game is I think it's actually a gem of a game. Almost ruined by a poor rule book. Um, I dreaded, like, I was so looking forward to getting together with you. And after literal months sit down and playing a tabletop game together. But I almost dreaded it because of this game, because I read the rule book, and it's... I mean, if you, the components in this game is 20 cardboard tiles, a few tokens. Uh, that's it. I mean, that's it. Um, uh, the, little, the little damage tokens, there's a bunch of those, but that's it. There's not much to it. Yet, I read the rule book through twice, and it's like 90% of the rules are crystal clear. But there's a very important 10%, and I wrote this down in my notes because I don't want to forget it. There's a very important 10% that's either unclear or is literally not covered in the rule book. For example, what makes this game shine, um, and by the way, this game is rated like a 6.2 on Board Game Geek, for those of you who, who go to that database website, which is a fair score. It's not great. It shows a game that some people enjoy for sure, but it's definitely got some haters too, probably. Yet, this game has a surprising number of people who've left reviews saying this is one of their absolute favorite games. Like, for a game rated at a 6.2, it has an inordinate number of people saying this is probably their favorite game. And I think that's because 
if you're willing to fight through some of the stuff, it could be brilliant. But I have probably 500 games on my shelf, and I don't know if I want to put up with that. And, and what I was going to say is <laughs> yeah, probably the most brilliant part of this game is designing your sub to begin with. Yeah. But guess what the rules don't really describe how to do? They don't describe how to design your sub. The you It literally says, for the first game, they suggest following this set out and just doing it like they tell you to do it. But then there's no detail about how to do like a draft. like So we can like draft tiles. Now, if you get online, you can find uh, like FAQs that explain that. But that should absolutely be in the rule book. I mean, what an oversight. Uh, it's just such a shame, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. That also. I'm glad you said that. That's another one of my little nitpicks with this game too. Is there's not that many pieces. I mean, I understand it's only a two player game, but when it comes to down like drafting and actually building your submarine, there's honestly not very many options here. Uh, no, that's they run the, out really quick. Yes, there's only 20 tiles in the game, and you use yeah. 10 per sub. The thing is, this is called Sting Torpedo Immersion Pack. Which tells you, uh, they did, by the way, release two small expansions for this. I think they were hoping this would be a huge hit, and they were going to release tons of expansions. Yeah. Honestly, if they cleaned up that rule book and made it the zippy, snappy, strategic... <laughs> let me be clear, this game is incredibly strategic, or tactical. Oh, yeah. There is basically zero luck in this game. There's, there's no luck factor, honestly. I mean, everything is known. You can react to your opponent directly. There's no luck to this game. It is extremely strategic. But, yes, it's essential that you're able to build your submarine the way you want to. The rulebook doesn't even explain how to do that. And you really need to buy, if you're going to buy it, you need to buy the expansion packs that are available so you have more options to build your sub. Yeah, it also, this is the kind of game, too, that really, to me, like if... If you, Trevor, for example, if you were, you had played this before and then you were going to play against some, like Anna or somebody who's not played yeah. it, you would have a major advantage, not just because oh, yeah. you played a game before, but you literally know what all the pieces are and you would have the advantage right off the bat building your sub because you yeah. know the pieces to go for and you know what strategies to try to, you know, that would work and such. Uh, so I would, I would also say that this game is not. Uh, for like the reason that we were on even grounds because we were both playing it for the first time. Yeah. But I guarantee you, if you had played this before I'd had a chance to, then like, I, I, I don't even think these games would have been close. <laughs> no. And you know what? That's the conclusion I've come to. Like, you know, maybe my son, maybe miles would enjoy this one day. It's a two player game. And I think, I think if you get through the terrible, it's a bad translation. Um, the, they just didn't do enough work translating the rulebook, and that shows why you don't cut corners on that stuff. You can't cut corners on that. But if I got through the rulebook and printed out a sheet explaining the rules more clearly, which I've done on plenty of games before, because I'm a, a geek, um, then maybe, yeah, one day me and Miles would enjoy it. Maybe Anna would enjoy playing it one day. And if I had 10 games in my collection, I would totally keep it and, and, and commit to learning it better. But I decided, you know what? There's too many great games. This one's too much of a headache because they cut corners on the rule book. I think there's a diamond in the rough on this game, but I've got too many games to deal with the rough. So this, it's not particularly worth anything, but this is going on my sale or giveaway pile if I think of somebody who might actually enjoy it. And it is yeah. a shame because it had so much potential. Yeah, I think that's the key here. Uh, 
I, I don't like to be completely negative about stuff. That's what Pointless Pride will show there is for. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when it comes to uh, board games or any sort of media that I enjoy, even when there's something I don't like, I've gotten in my old age now where I try to look on the bright side of it or the positives yeah. of it, even if I don't like it. Uh, so like this game, for example, I think and we've already kind of covered this, but the reason that I just didn't like it, like I'm just going to tell you, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, but that that's just because I, there's like some things I would just change for me personally that like, it's, it's like, it's like running a marathon and you're like five feet from crossing that finish line and you just stop. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Michael Scott did on the office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just, he just kind of gives up right there to get sick. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like that. Uh, yeah. That's what this game was. It's almost over the finish line. Like I would add a third piece, like I'd add that third board. Because that would really help a lot with the like a strategy. Like a submarine. Yes. Yes, that would help a ton. And I think they really missed the <laughs> missed boat on that uh-huh. one. But uh, And also, uh, a better translation, of course. And I would honestly just come out with uh, 25 to 30 pieces for your submarine. Uh, yes. For the two people to choose from. But yeah, only 20 pieces get used, if that makes any sense. Right. Because that would add variety to it, too. Um, I, you're probably right. I bet they were hoping to do a lot of expansions to it and i think an expansion would make me want to try it again if i'm being honest just to see if there's differences in the subs and stuff and if maybe it plays a little different uh, but i gotta say compared to the second game that we played uh this one uh doesn't this one doesn't even get out of the water compared to the other one you know, what this reminds me of this is the last i'll say on it and i <clears throat> i heard that pun and i'm choosing to ignore it by the way okay um <laughs> <laughs> you know, in this, since you are shamelessly plugging our podcast, you know, the retro game show we do, uh, Retro Blist, a lot of those old Nintendo games, they have like an awesome looking cover. In fact, I'm thinking of one that's about submarines. It's called Silent Service. It's one of those games we were given like from a, a yard sale. Uh, it's called Silent Service, and I specifically remember that it has like submarines battling on the cover. But you play it and you feel like without a good rule book, you know, without a good instruction manual, you're just missing something and it's just kind of disappointing. Yeah. This brought that to mind to me because like all the pieces are there for such an awesome game and it has moments of genuine, uh, I would say, inspiration. Like somebody designed something pretty cool here, but then like you're just missing something. You're missing a crucial piece. So yeah, yeah, that's Sting Torpedo. I think we agree. Um and I did take the effort, which is not something I do often in life, um, but to look up all these games. If anyone listening is interested, uh, I'll tell you kind of where you can get these if they're still in print. None of these games, uh, I mean, were really uh, super popular, so none of them are probably, like you're not going to walk into a Walmart or Target and find these games. But Steam Torpedo, I think I found on Amazon. Uh, yeah, for less than 20 bucks on Amazon. Uh, the, the expansions, which I almost got are like 12 or 13 bucks a piece, but I decided, nah, I, I got too many other games. If a game needs an expansion to really be feel complete, I'm not sure that it's for me. Um, yeah, my so review yeah. would be, my review would be sell it. <laughs> That's my yeah. review of that game. <laughs> so yeah, less than 20 bucks on Amazon if you want it, or you can have my copy for 10 bucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, and by the way, uh, we're not ignoring Anna. She is here, but she literally didn't play these first two games, so that's why you're not hearing much. But, uh, Anna, do you have an opinion on Steam Torpedo? Does it look like something you'd want to play from the box? I've learned not to judge a game by its cover. 
I'll play whatever you set up and learn. But That's a very nice way to say things. I, I, I did just hear, <laughs> I did just hear your review, so yeah, it's the wrong time. To you ask. heard it wasn't that great by one of the premier voices in all of cardboard gaming. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I can't believe you called me that, Trevor. I'm honored. I, I am. I, I feel strongly about you in that way. <laughs> um, actually, you could have just ended that sentence with "I feel strongly about you." But uh, speaking of <laughs> the next shame, their next shelf of shame game, I should say. This is a game that, dare I say, is even less known than Steam Torpedo. I'm really going for the big listeners with this show. You know, I'm really hoping to draw in people by talking about games everyone's heard about. This, yeah, this the is the Ranger list of board games. We don't, yes. we don't know how to cover games that would actually get us listeners. <laughs> right. So this next game it is the, the name is incredibly boring. It's called Martinique, um, and that's Martin, like the name Martin, and then I Q U E Martinique. But it does look cool. The cover shows this pirate. He looks like Blackbeard, and he has a parrot on his shoulder, and he's uh, just looking cool and collected. Um, it looks like a cool pirate adventure game. This is by White, White Goblin Games and Z-Man Games. Um, Martinique, I believe, is a uh, 2010. So this is one I probably honestly had for about seven years or so. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Johnny. I don't know if you listened to my last Shelf of Shame episode, but one of the games I know I've had at least a decade um, <laughs> that was not played. This one's got to be close to that. This is another one of those games, and unfortunately, this is something I used to do a lot. I've, I've really cut back on this. But if a game looks kind of interesting and it was on a really good sale, I tended to pick it up, and I'm pretty sure that was the case with this game. But it's a pretty cool looking game. Uh, it's definitely a pirate theme. When you take it out of the box, it's basically a giant pirate map. It's the map of an island. Um, this game, the way I would describe it, is a mix between like a maze game um, and a deduction game of sorts. This is a two-player only game, um, and I'll go and say straight up, this doesn't feel like a two-player only game to me. I keep Agreed. forgetting that it is. Agreed. Uh, that would be one of my complaints about it, even though it definitely worked just fine two-player. Uh, but this thing screams to me that it should be like a three-player to me. It, like it, I think yeah. this would be perfect a, a perfect three-player game, how this game works and is set up. And not to get in the reviews yet, but you actually said when we were playing it, like, I think this will really be good with three players if we can get Anna to play. Yeah. It's like, well, it's only a two-player game. <laughs> but but what you do in the game, there's basically two parts. You you uh, you uh It's a grid, basically. And it's a little bit like a clue in this part in that you take out two tiles. And the, the tiles are numbered from 1 to 8, and then alphabetically from A to H. And so you it's, take out... Yeah, it's set up just like a grid, uh, yeah, with letters grid. down one side and, and numbers down the other side. Right. And what you're really trying to do, the main goal of the game, is to locate the lost treasure. And so what you're doing is you're turning over these map tiles. And so, for example, if the map tile you collect says A, then you know the treasure can't be in the A row. And if you have the number 4, you know it can't be in the 4 column. So you're eliminating all the possibilities so that at the end of the game you can try to figure out where it actually is. The odd thing about this game, and I'll be honest with you, I've not played anything quite like it, is you're also, in addition to trying to narrow down where the treasure is, because ultimately that is the goal of the game, you're also picking up tiles as you go that are like small treasures, and you're scoring points for these small treasures uh, because at the end of the game, if neither one of us <laughs> manages to figure out where the treasure actually is, then it goes to points, and whoever has the most points wins. 
which I've never played a game like that before, to where the points don't even matter if one of us actually finds the treasure. They only matter if neither of us finds the treasure. Yeah. Um, but the way you're moving on the game is you're you're putting your pirates out along the beach, and the tile you're sitting on will tell you how many spaces to move. So if it says two, then you move two. You know, if it says three, you have to move three. And you're just moving around this grid, uncovering more map pieces. And so I know some things about where the treasure is not. You know some things about where the treasure is not. And the way it ends is whenever you end on a blank space or on the space in the center of the board, you go to the bar. The bar is called the hook, which I appreciate. So when you go to the hook, you sit down at the bar. And once everyone sat down at the bar, then in order of your pawns that are set at the bar, you try to locate where you think the treasure is. And so I'm looking at my tiles and saying, okay, I know it's not on A or B or 4 or 6. And so you're putting out your pawns one at a time trying to locate the treasure. The trick is you could be bluffing if you wanted to. Like maybe I know the treasure's not on A row, but I'll put my guy out there hoping Johnny away some of his guys there. Um, it's honestly, it's so hard to explain. It is one of those games you just have to play, but basically just know it's a game of two parts. The first part is called sunrise and that's where you're moving around the map, locating the map, the treasure tiles and the treasure maps. And the second part is where you're just putting your pawns out on the board and saying, I think the treasure's here. And then you put one and I put one. Once we've all put our pawns out in the second part of the game, we reveal where the treasure actually is. So say it's at D4. If one of us put our little pirate on D4 in the second half of the game, then you automatically win. That's it. Game over. If neither one of us figured it out, then you add up the points from all the treasure you collected. Uh, that's pretty much it. It's a very simple game. Um, uh, we only played this one once because unlike Steam Torpedo, it totally made sense. The rules were <laughs> dead simple. Yeah. Despite the fact that I really don't think I explained it well because it's hard to explain uh, without seeing it in front of you. Uh, it is very simple. Um, and I'll, I'll go and give my review first and I'll let you say what you think. I think this is an odd little game because it feels like it could fall apart pretty easy. The fact that you're doing this whole first half of the game and then the points don't even matter most of the time. They only matter if you don't find the treasure. That's when you add up the points. I think the reason that... Uh, I definitely liked it more than Steam Torpedo. And the reason I think I'm going to keep it at least for a while is because if this were an hour-long game and then it all came down to just kind of trying to guess where the treasure is at the end, that would be a bust. But the truth is, this game could be taught in two minutes. It can be set up in one minute. And it could be played in probably less than 30 minutes. So for a light, quick, two-player game, I'm okay with the fact that it's just kind of a little quirky, you know, a little odd. Um... I liked it. I don't know if the replay values are going to be terrible or if it's... if To me, it all comes down to that end part. Does it make sense to bluff sometimes to throw off your opponent? Because if you don't bluff, then you both basically have a 50-50 shot, honestly, of guessing where the treasure is. Um, but if you bluff, you could really throw them off. So I think it's going to come down to that. And I think it's either a game that's going to sink with repeat plays or really shine. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to playing more. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, especially compared to the game we played before this, this this game was a gem, <laughs> in my opinion. I really enjoyed this one. I liked it quite a lot. Uh, 
it's not perfect by, by any means. What's what's this one's score on uh, Board Game Geek? Honestly, I think it's about the same. It's like in the low sixes. It's it's definitely one that some people really appreciate and some people feel a little weird about how it okay. ends. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I like this game quite a lot. Uh, it was fun. Uh, my one complaint, and I've already said it, is that it needs to be more than two players. Yeah. I would not go more than four. Uh, I'd say two to four is probably that perfect range for this. It just plays like, it feels like a two to four player game, but yeah. it's it's made for two. Yeah, so that really is strange to me, uh, why they didn't just add more. I mean, it's it's just, just screaming out for it, but, <clears throat> but I like this game quite a lot. Uh, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, I ended up winning because at the very end, Trevor put a lot of his pirates on the A grid. And I knew for a fact it wasn't A, because that's the one of the ones I had. Uh, yep. And Trevor wasted at least three or four of his guesses on that. So. <laughs> I, I, Sent your crew to the wrong island. I, I did. I, I tricked myself into thinking that I thought you thought it was on A. And I was like, wait a minute. Johnny didn't put any of his people on A. I just no. That was just stupidity <laughs> on my part, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the bad part is, you got a spot that I wanted to get. I think at the same time we decided we thought it was like C5. Yeah, that's what it and was. as soon as you got it, I'm like, no, I feel like that's it. And it was it, yeah. Yeah, that was it, for sure, yeah. So it was um, a fun, it was fun, at least our first time, it was a fun experience. Yeah, but the one thing you brought up, though, is the replayability. That, even though I do think if we played again, the game would be different, because, I mean, it's going to be in a different spot, uh, yeah. and, all, and, and the board will always be set up slightly different. Uh, I don't know how high that replayability is. Uh, I think after yeah. a couple games... Um, of it, I'd be like, okay, I've I played this now. We can put it up for a while, and maybe in in a you know in a, a, like a year or so, we can come back to it. <laughs> you know, what my of... honest, exactly. And my honest opinion is, looking at the box, it kind of missells itself. It looks like a serious pirate game. Yeah, this should be like a. There's a game company called Haba. All their boxes are bright yellow. And they make great kids and family games. This should be like a kids slash family game, like um and. And then this, there's a high luck factor in this game, and the yeah. fact that it comes down to 50-50 shots sort of at the end um, would be a great, like, marketed more towards kids, I think, honestly. So yeah. that's why I'm going to uh, keep yeah. it. I just think it's mismarketed a little bit. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. Uh, I don't know what the ages are on it, but uh, I it would probably... It says 10 and up, which I disagree with. I feel like 6 or 7 and up is more accurate, but... That's a know. 7 I mean, and up. Yeah, it's I a little guess. subtle, I guess. Yeah, know. um... But I will say, uh, we've played quite a few in our board game careers. We've played, uh, you've probably even played more than I have, but quite a few pirate-themed board games. And yeah. for the most part, I don't remember one that I didn't like. So maybe yeah. that should tell me, that should tell board game people something. Uh, make more pirate-themed board games. Apparently, they're usually, in my opinion at least, uh, very fun. Yeah, there. I think we mentioned Jamaica on the show, and that's probably one of the ones you're talking about. It's great fun. Yeah, we played Jamaica. We played that one where he actually had uh, uh, Libertalia. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. We played quite a few of them that I really, yeah. really enjoyed. And I would add this to the list. I just don't know how high the replayability is on this one. That yeah. would be my one little complaint. That and plus the number of players on it. Uh, but I did like it. I did enjoy it way more than the other one. And I would. This would be one that I would. If I owned it, I would probably keep it too. Yeah, and this one—it's uh, it's, just—it doesn't appear to be in print anymore, but it's not expensive. When I looked about a week ago, you could find new copies for less than twenty dollars on eBay. 
I think this one's worth seeking out for about 20 bucks if you have, say, a 10-year-old to play with. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't have to be a kid to enjoy it. We both enjoyed it. But if you're specifically looking for a two-player game and the pirate theme is appealing, I think it's worth 20 bucks. Um, granted, there's yeah. a lot of other games you could choose. You know, don't panic if you can't find it. But <laughs> but that's... Yeah, to be fair, though, our... our uh, and I'm throwing you in the boat here with me on this. Our maturity level is probably that of a child. Oh, yeah. Nine or ten yeah. max. Easily. But, yeah. But, Johnny, this is where you go uh, just stand in the corner with your nose against the wall because we don't need you. All right, this is high school over again. Yep. <laughs> no, uh, because the next two games Anna played with me, and uh, feel free to chime in about these games you know nothing about at any time. <laughs> I'll give my full review. Yep. And Anna, you can get close to the microphone because I think my voice carries a little better maybe uh, through years of just having to yell to get my way. So the first game me and Anna played is possibly the least known maybe <laughs> of all these games. I don't know. It's got a very odd name, at least to us, us here in America. It's called Perry Rodan, the Cosmic League. Um, and I guess I'm going to spell that. It's Perry, P-E-R-R-Y, Rodan, R-H-O-D-A-N. Perry Rodan apparently is the most successful sci-fi book series of all time, which blows my mind. Um, but it never really made it to America. <laughs> Um, and we'll get into some more details about that in the quiz show we're going to have later. Uh, oh, man, but... yeah, it is. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's kind of mind-blowing, yeah. isn't it? It really is. So yeah, I've never even heard of it. Me either. Uh, I've never heard of it. Uh, it's kind of amazing this game made it to America, because I don't think the books ever officially came out here. I don't think. Um, it does make me a little interested in the books, because the, the game has this cool art style, sort of retro-looking, and I think the art is from one of the people who does, uh, do the art for the books. But Perry Rodan, the Cosmic League, is a card game. It's made by Cosmos. If you're a, a gamer, a real gamer, with any cred at all, um, <laughs> you know that Cosmos... <laughs> we all are. Yes. Cosmos is famous for their line of two-player card games. They do games like Lost Cities and a bunch of others I'm not going to bother to mention because that one's really popular. Um <coughs> Oh. And this is in their line of, of two-player card games. Trevor, I'll just throw this in here real quick. Perry okay. Rodan is so popular that there real there is legit a Monopoly version uh, of oh. Perry Rodan. I'm going to have to ask you to stop looking at Perry Rodan right now, though, because you might uh, get a leg up on the quiz show. Oh, I didn't know there was a quiz. I apologize. Yeah, Quit cheating, Johnny. Johnny's I a cheater. To see, uh, I knew you played better games than me. Been exposed. I wanted to check him in it. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny's a sham and a shame, and he won't be back. Yep. Uh, so this game, uh, I'll just go ahead and say, it's a card game in that you're basically just playing with cards, but it feels very much to me like a legit uh, a board game. And I, I know that sounds silly, but it feels like you have a board, although it's mostly just cards, because the way this game works, um, I'm going to throw a, a gamery term out here, um, uh, pick up and deliver. Is basically the kind of game this is, which is exactly what it sounds like. You're picking up something at one planet and delivering it to another planet. Um, basically, what you're trying to do is you're um, collecting these cards that are your cargo, and you're holding them on your ship. And you can upgrade your ship like with better cargo and with different abilities. Nothing too crazy. Uh, but you're delivering stuff from one planet to another, uh, getting upgrades, making money. And um, 
as I'm explaining this, I'm struggling to remember, but Anna, isn't the victory condition just who has the most money or space credits or whatever it's called? Yes. Yeah, so you're just trying to sell stuff by delivering it to planets. Um, the clever part is you both have identical uh, decks, but to actually like put a card into play, you have to... I'm, I'm really struggling now. How do you put the cards into play? <laughs> See, this is... It wasn't that long ago we played this. Um, uh, anyways, forget it. You got to put the cards into play. Uh, some of the cards are temporary. They just do a quick thing and then they go away. Some actually improve your ship. But the bottom line is you just want to be delivering more efficiently than the other player. So although it is a card game, it feels like a board game. Like it feels like you're jumping around from planet to planet. Um, uh, you got your little standee, your little ship standee. Um, and it's... Uh, it's it, it could be themed almost like a train thing where you're picking up goods and delivering them. But the theme really works. Like the, the, the science fiction, the artwork is just really cool. It kind of feels like you're in this little mission delivering goods to planets. The the cards are very clever uh, in the way they're made. They're double-sided. So like when you deliver goods to one planet, you flip the cards you delivered over, and now that planet has different goods on it. Um, like if a planet runs out of goods completely, you get a bonus for delivering to that planet because they're... They need stuff, basically. Um, basically, you just keep going to all the goods have been delivered, and then the game's over. Uh, Anna, what were your thoughts of this? I think we played it at least twice. Yeah, um, I thought it was a... I, I really love the way that it's set up with the, the... So they have a big cardboard sun, oh, yeah. and all of the planets are in line up to the card uh, up to the sun, like, a, like an actual solar system. Yeah. And so it feels... I think that like makes you feel like you're actually flying through space just because you can actually get closer to the sun or farther away from the sun when you're delivering. Um, so it, I think <coughs> several things near and dear to my heart that it's based on a book that I've never read, but books that I've never read, but I think that's cool that it has a background. Um, the sci-fi theme, the, the solar system just, you know, kind of the site, like the, the planet farthest away is the coldest. And it, it just, it feels like you're actually, mm-hmm. I think it's because of that setup that it feels like you're actually flying through space and yeah. dropping off passengers, dropping off cargo. <coughs> um, <Excuse> me. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of Firefly, which is yeah. a phenomenal show that got canceled way too soon. But um, yeah, I thought it was a great little game, easy to learn and and fun to play. If this had been uh, themed after Firefly, at least here in the States where none of us have heard of this, I think it would have sold really well. I really do. Um, it's quick. The box has 30 minutes, and that is no exaggeration. It's pretty easy to teach. It's so easy to set up, and I appreciate that so much. You deal out the six planets, which are these little cardboard uh, tiles, like Anna said, and I do love that. Like uh, the fiery planets are up close to the sun. Uh, you, you deal the goods out to the planets, uh, I think they each get five goods, and it's going to be different every game because they're going to have a different assortment of goods. And you just go, and it's so quick to set up. It's so fast. There's luck involved. I mean, the right card's coming up at the right time. Uh, and I mentioned passengers. You can actually play cards out of your hand that represent passengers that you drop off on planets. Probably the single coolest thing about this game, and this does not sound like a card game when I explain this, uh, but when you move your ship... 
if you're moving away from the sun, it's it takes a while to move. You've got to like count the spaces in between the planets. Yeah, gravity's working against you. Right, but when gravity's pulling you toward the sun, when you're going back the other direction, you can get planet to planet and you can move a lot faster. You can move twice as fast, which is pretty thematic and pretty cool. Um, you can and, also stop an orbit of the planet. Right. Or, and, and, and to actually deliver, you have to land on the planet, which is an extra movement. So it just feels very thematic. Like It does. It feels right. Right. So to actually deliver goods on a planet, it makes sense. You have to land on the planet, which takes another movement. But to... Um, you might get a card that says you can basically shoot your goods down to the planet without actually getting out of orbit. Which is just a fancy way of saying you basically save a space every time you deliver goods. Um, and it's it's just... I mean, there's a lot of luck in it. Like, the way you actually move is you roll a dice. It's just a six-sided die. But if you roll a one, you get to roll again, and you actually add that one to your total. So, like, if you roll a one, and then another one, and then, let's say, a four, you're actually going to get to move six spaces. Um, the worst thing to roll was a two, because you don't get to roll again, and it's just a terrible roll. But for the most part, you know, you got to move a decent amount. Um, and, to me, for a 30-minute game that takes two minutes to set up, two or three minutes to explain, it had the perfect amount of luck and tactics. Like, I wouldn't say there's a deep strategy. It's more tactics. Like, you're deciding turn to turn what you want to do. But I really enjoyed this game. I, I didn't think that I was going to like it, say, more than Sting Torpedo, just from looking at it. But of the three games we mentioned so far, we have one more to talk about. But, Johnny, I'm sorry. I liked Perry Rodan better than either of the games I played with you. It looks Probably more fun. as much. It looks, it honestly just, all I did was look at a picture of the game set up. It looked way more fun. The pieces, yeah. I like the art really yeah. well, really nice too. Uh, it looked like a lot of fun and you, and I think you both are right. You could get a theme this over, honestly, any uh, f- uh, popular sci-fi yeah. thing here and it probably would have sold well. Like this could have been Star Trek, currently off from the sales right. of it. And then that would have been all over it. Absolutely. It could have been a Star Trek <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you say this is just two players? It is a two-player, and it feels like a two-player game. It's like a, uh, yeah, it's a small box. feels like a two-player game. Right, yeah. Um, it would be cool if it was more, but it's it does feel like a two-player game. Uh, I will say, probably because it's simply a better game, uh, this one's a little harder to find. Of course, it's not in print anymore. Honestly, most board games, sadly, there's just so many now, they go out of print unless they're like mega, mega hits. They go out of print, and they just don't come back. Uh, that was not the case even five years ago. If a game was good, like truly good, even if it wasn't mega popular, I would say five to seven years ago, it was probably going to come back in print. You'd be able to get it later. Now, it just doesn't happen that way. A game has to be a mega hit to get multiple prints. But anyways, Perry Roadhand, I found it for about 35 bucks new on eBay. And I think it retailed for 30 when it was brand new, so I would hate to pay much more than that. But I will say this is a game that was on my shelf of shame that I was trying to decide whether to sell or keep. And not only am I going to keep it, but it's uh, it's going to have a, a proud place in my collection for the time being. So, uh, what do you think, Anna? Do you think it's worth keeping? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there's Perry Rodan. I think it's worth 30 or 35 bucks. But, again, there's so many great games now. If you don't want to get one that's out of print, that's more than understandable. Um, but it's a cool game. And that just leaves one game, which I would say by far of all these games looks the most... Modern, dare I say, professional. Um, it's called For Crown and Kingdom. Uh, For Crown and Kingdom is a Rio Grande game. 
It is not very old. Uh, it is from a shelf. Oh, Perry Rodan, by the way. Um, I've had for uh, an insane amount of time. Let's see when it was made. <laughs> it. I truly don't know why I've not played this, especially because it's a two-player game. This game, uh, this edition came out in 2010, and I probably had it since 2011 or 12, honestly. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> for Crown and Kingdom, though, I've only had it's less shameful. Shame, I've, I've, I've only had it maybe a year or so. Um, for Crown and Kingdom, is a game with a circular board. And it's a circular board made out of pizza slices. They look like pizza slices, except it's got like a forest and villages and mountains on it. But you make this pie-shaped board, basically, um, which gives it some variety. It's not going to be the same game every time. And that's because this game is literally a rondelle. Um, now, a rondelle, I don't know if that's just a board game term or if that's something people actually say in real life, because I don't really exist in real life, so I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I think it's a word. Okay. But in gaming terms, um, what it means is the board's a circle, and if there's three character tokens on the space you're on, then you move three spaces. If there's, if you're the only one on that space, you're only going to move one space. So how many ever people are on the space with you, whether they're yours or your opponents, that's how many spaces you have to move, and you have to move the full amount. Then you basically do the action of whatever space you land on, depending on the character you have. Uh, this game is a rondelle. Like, that is the game. You're just moving in a circle the whole time. That is the game. But where the meat of the game is, is each character has a different ability. And the whole point is to, to, uh, to put your little flag, your little country's flag out on, I think it's six uh, spaces. Um, and to do that, you have to end the turn with your Duke, which is one of the characters, Duke or Duchess, because you can play with the guys or the girls' side, they're the same, which is pretty cool. You just flip the token over, and there's like a, a Duke on one side and a Duchess on the other. Um, it might be a, uh, oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> a thief and a thiefess. <laughs> a male thief and a female thief. Now that this is, is not a PC. Word, but that's fine. Yes. Um. <laughs> so, <laughs> so your Duke or Duchess are the most important because when you end a space with them, if your color has the majority on that space, you get to put your flag out and it's there to stay. So it's basically a area majority game. You're trying to end your Duke or Duchess on a space and have the most of your color on that space, more than the, the other players. Um, if you have more than anybody else, Combine, everybody else combined, I should say, because this is a two-to-four player game. Unlike every single other game we played that was only two players, this one is two-to-four. And more about that later, but we only played it with two. But but the other characters do two things, too. Uh, like the thief steals coins, which are very important. They let you break rules in the game. The thief steals coins from the other player. Uh, the the scholar actually reads the tome, like reads the... the t- the writing on the space itself and does whatever that says. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Um, the knot actually locks up the other players. It can lock up anybody that's on that tile, which is really obnoxious. Did you explain the objective? Yeah, the objective is to capture how many ever regions. I think it's six in a two-player game. So, so yeah, basically the, the king has died without an heir. And so you want your duke or duchess to rule the kingdom. And so right. all these different players have... Their, their different actions that they take to try to bring the kingdom to your side. And 
it kind which it kind of feels like love letter a little bit in a way, like yeah. the the different abilities of the does, yeah. the theme of it and the different abilities of the. I mean, it's a very yeah. different game, but this could be love letter the board game though, theme wise as far as the abilities go. That would make sense. Yeah, it feels it, it's more intense than love letter. Like the 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 battling it out is a little bit more intense. Yeah, it's a but, very cutthroat game. I'm, I'm just gonna let you give your opinions, but I will say. This is an in-your-face game. Like, you have to be doing something bad to the other player because that's just how it is. Um, all your abilities are basically hurting them, and you want to end your turn with the majority on that space so you can capture the space, basically. Um, so it's kind of like chess on a round board, except more kind of goofy and lighter than chess, but it's kind of chess-like in its nature. What do you, What are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I mean, I think it looks deceptively simple, and then when you're learning the rules, it feels simple, but it's... Very simple rule book. It's because there's only a few things that you can do, but literally there were several times when we thought the other person had won the game, <clears throat> and there were actually one or more moves to, to save it and keep it going, mm-hmm. and that happened several times, so it's very strategic, like... You can't just take it at face value. There, there is probably something that you could do to to block the other person, or, um, it, you know, it, it felt hopeless several times, which mm-hmm. made it. I really loved it because I ended up winning, and my Duchess <laughs> became queen of the kingdom. So, I, I really, I ended up really liking it because Did I thought I'd me? lost. So, yeah, exactly. But, um. No, it, it, it's that, a cool game. Our game really went back and forth to the point it's like, are we doing something wrong? Because I thought I had it. I was getting smug. I'm like, okay, this is finally over. There's no way she can get out of this. And then she'd think, oh, wait a minute. If I move this character here, it'll do this. It'll put his guy in prison. And then I'll and she bought herself another turn. It's sort of like in chess, you put the other player in checkmate. And I did that to her like 18 times. And she never did it to me once. But then she ended up turning around and winning, which was pretty cool. My thoughts on this game this one is two to four players and at first i thought this will be a cool like three or four player game because the board actually changes like you actually flip the tiles over uh so it accommodates more players but i was thinking this game is so cutthroat can you imagine if me and johnny were playing this game and you've got to pick who you're going to pick on basically like with me and you it's two players you've got to pick on another player it's just part of the game but if i'm having to choose every time if i'm going to brutalize you or johnny I think I might kind of feel bad about it. <laughs> like, I think it might actually be too mean for it to be a multiplayer game. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Unless you're looking yeah. for that kind of thing. I would be interested to play it with three or four, though. I, I guess you're right, because, like, mean games aren't usually my favorite. It, I don't like that. I don't like that element of having to pick who to, um, to mess up that time. But, uh. Yeah, if it's just two people, you don't really have a choice. It's just part of the game. It doesn't feel personal. Yeah. Sorry, Anna's voice looks really quiet on here all of a sudden. Well, she's coming in loud and clear. Okay, good, good. Yep. I'm, I'm worried about the technical side because this is a professional podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, that's, but yeah. That's one thing I've always said about us is we're professionals. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I would be curious. My I couldn't give this game a final review, which isn't what we're doing anyways, but without playing it with three or four... Because it's a two-player game, it's surprisingly thinky. Like, it's so simple, but you're like, oh, what should I do? I mean, we were sweating over this game, which really blew my mind. Um, It's a lot more of an abstract 
kind of game that I normally like. Like I said, it's almost like chess, but with an actual theme and artwork and stuff. Um, I didn't expect it to be quite that thinky. So this is the kind of game that I think I would love to pull out occasionally. This is not the kind of game I'm going to want to play every day. Because it's it's very abstract and kind of thinky and very I take that. I liked it more than that. I would play it more than that. I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you did like it more than me. And that is funny because you definitely aren't like a, a cutthroat kind of player. But I don't know. I didn't feel bad about the cutthroat in this game because you had to do that in a right. two-player game. right. Like I said, I would be interested with three or four players to see if it just feels brutally mean. Um, but, I, I, yeah, so I think it's a keeper, and I can tell Anna likes it more than me, so it's, I'm obviously going to keep it. So, Thank you. All right. Well, that was four games, and I'm the only one uh, who, who actually matters. Check on Johnny. Are you still awake, Johnny? No, I went to sleep hours ago. Oh. Uh, as I was saying, I'm the only one who actually matters because only I played all four. Yes. Um, but you can both give an opinion as well with only 50% of the information. <laughs> but for me, it's easy. Perry Rodan was not only my favorite, it's a gem of a game that if I didn't own it and I had a chance to play it, I would probably seek it out. Um, which is kind of defeating the purpose of this self-of-shame thing because I was hoping to clear some games off the shelf. <laughs> um, you get rid Rodin, of one. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, out of four. So Perry Rodan would be first. Uh, Crown and Kingdom's easily second. I think it's worth keeping. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> Which means, Johnny, the two you played were the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Martinique is easily third. It's one that could be a turd after I play it a few more times, or it could be a gem. I honestly think it just needs to be played more before I can answer that. Because uh, it's such an odd little game. But it's it's got me intrigued. Why you like it? Yeah. What? If you if you like really came up with this board game, right, and you were very yeah. and like you're very proud of it, you put a lot of hard work into it, and you're just listening to somebody review on a podcast again, it could be a turd. <laughs> or it could be a gem, who knows? Yeah. Uh, Steam Torpedo is a gem that was covered in turds because of the rule book, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, that is a shame and I and I think that's shameful and, and not I don't give that any excuse in today's day and age of board games. Yeah. Um so yeah, Steam Torpedo I'm getting rid of. The rest I'm keeping. Martinique is on a dangerous balance, but I'm intrigued to play it again. I want to play it with Anna. Uh, yeah, uh, Perry, w- Perry yeah. Roadhand gets my vote, though, for sure. I will say that for sure I want to play the two games that you two played. Uh, they sound way more fun than what I went through. Yes. <laughs> and for that, I apologize, Johnny. No, that's why uh, I <laughs> What about you, honey? Uh, well, Johnny's obvious. He liked Martinique more than Steam Torpedo, and he didn't get to play the good ones. So, what was your favorite of the two you played? Um, I guess I'm struggling between the Perry Roadhand and for Crown and Kingdom because I actually, I mean, I really liked Perry Roadhand, but um, the the kind of the intensity and the strategy. Well, you well, know, I I usually prefer the strategy yeah. over the luck. In, in general, as yeah. as far as overall, and Perry Roadhand really, you know, it was strategic, but it depended a lot on the cards oh, yeah. in your hand and and the way yeah. things came up. But so I I don't know, just that like they're very the, different. Games. The little bit more intense, the the intense part of it, and yeah. the, it was more exciting. I guess it felt exciting. But yeah. I love I I really enjoyed Perry Roadhand too. It's uh, a Perry Roadhand is a much more thematic game, uh, but there's a healthy dose of luck. Crown of Kingdom, I didn't say this. There is, unless I'm forgetting something, there is zero luck in this game. 
it is basically an abstract strategy game with with pretty artwork. Um, so it is very thinky. That's true. They're very different games. Uh, they scratch a totally different itch. So right. So it's worth keeping them both. I think it sounds like to me that you know, just like I said with the pirate theme game, the same thing kind of applies to games that have a theme of like uh, the the time of kings and queens. Because uh, there's yeah. been plenty right. of there's been plenty of games that we played with that theme sort of involved that I've really enjoyed. So yeah. Yep. But we've gone on long enough because we have one more order of business. Um, and this is shamelessly ripped off of the other show we do together. Uh, You'll get we're, sued. We're going to get sued by by me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love quiz shows. I think they're fun. I think we ripped the idea off somebody else anyways to begin with. We even love Quiznos. And, and Johnny, yes. <laughs> oh, I miss Quiznos. They sh- I think they're one shut down around here. They are. Anyways. We probably, even, we probably shut them down. We probably did. <laughs> That's the story we can go into another time. We have bad luck with restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, Johnny, uh, you're never going to guess what I'm calling this uh, this quiz. I can't wait. It's the cave quiz. Oh, man. Oh, man. I hope there's some music there. <laughs> oh, man. What I, a great I, song. I hope I remember that. That's a good um, song to put there. That's, I'm very proud of you. So every time I have you and Anna on together, or at least until I get bored of this idea, I thought it would be fun to have like a quiz that's designed for somebody like me that's a total geek, but have two just normal people trying to answer the questions. <laughs> <laughs> so these are questions that if you're not a board game nerd and just a normal person who loves board games, you're probably going to be like, I have no idea. Oh, um, so I think that's that's the gist of it. Although right. I say that, and the first We're question literally has nothing to do with it. Who's more normal, games. Johnny? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's who what this is, is more normal? Yeah, that's what this is boiled down to. Basically what this is about, yeah. Yeah, he wants to know. This is what this is, and he didn't tell us this, but secretly he's trying to figure out which one of us is just the weird one. Yeah. His so, best friend or his wife? Which yeah. one's weirder? So there's five <laughs> questions, and I'm going to tell you, whoever gets the most questions right will be my permanent co-host. Oh, okay. This, oh. this is a paid position. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> All righty. Uh, okay. So, the first question. I want you to... Um, uh, okay. <laughs> You're both going to have a chance to make a guess, and whoever's closest without going over is going to win it. So, okay. process right rules. Don't go over. So, Perry Rodan, as you may have heard, is the most successful science fiction book series ever written. How many different books in the series have been published? So how many different books in the series have been published? And I will say uh, that some of the books are short books. Um, they're almost like a like Reader's Digest type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So some of them are small books, but some of them are hardcovers. Some are softbacks, blah, blah, blah. How many different books closest without going over gets this question? Oh, good gosh. Uh, I've got a number when you're ready, Johnny. I'm just throwing a guess out there. Uh, I've never heard of these. But I do know from what you said before that they're quite popular in other countries. Uh, I'm going to go with 
And this is different books, not number of books sold. I hope I made that clear. Yeah. Like just yeah. how many they made. Yeah, how many books are in a series, right? That's yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm going to go with... All right, see, I'm thinking this is like Goosebumps because there's like hundreds of Goosebumps books. I'm going to go with uh, 105. Wow. Okay, Anna? Well, I was thinking way different than that. That makes me wonder if I should change it up. Um, I'm just going to go with my original number of 15. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Amazingly, Johnny was closer, although his guess was horrifically bad, because it's 3,600. How is that possible? <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's the most Hubbard? successful series of all time. <laughs> Yeah, 3,600. 3,000 of these were booklets, like I said, like Reader's Digest. Almost like comic books, I guess you could say. Yeah. Okay. 400 were paperbacks, and Great. 200 were hardcover novels. Wow. <laughs> All right. Which is, I don't, makes Star I, Wars look quaint by comparison. I don't even feel like I even deserve that one. I was way No, off. I don't either, but I'm going to mark you down for one with a pen. I'm not got in my hand. Okay. Right, so one for Johnny. I see his notes. He's saying Anna is weird. Okay. That's, okay. Mm, man. Yeah. I'm much harsher to Johnny, to be fair. <laughs> so the follow-up question, and I know I said these were going to be about board games, and the first two questions aren't remotely, but whatever. That's we good. covered the Perry Roadhand game. So question two, how many of those books have sold? So again, without going over, of the different Perry Roadhand books, how many total have been sold? Total well, have, books. Okay, gotcha. And we'll make Anna guess first on this one. Um, or you can just both stick with the original guess and be good fair. Lord. Still whoever... Is under, Closest but, without going over. How many total were sold of all those books? So, if there were 3,000 and some books. No calculators. Um, <laughs> Why would that even matter? <laughs> okay, I, I I didn't even offer to put pick up my phone or anything either. It's not like I'm just sitting here. No. You know, crunching numbers or anything. Um, <laughs> but you still needed to give out that disclaimer. Yeah. I'm going to say 2.5 million. All right, Johnny, did you have a number? Uh, I'm I'm going to go with 16 million. All right, well, Anna had the number itself close when she said two, but again, Johnny gets the point because it's two billion with a B. <laughs> and we've never heard of these books. Two billion books, and I'd literally never, never heard of them heard before of I played this books. obscure board game. <laughs> So this series is from Germany, but it's obviously popular in many places around the world. Wow. Um, two billion books. So Johnny now has two. Anna, you've got to pick it up. I've like never. I, I feel like I've, I need to read these books now. I've never I was felt looking, so and normal. I think they're hard to find here. What was that, Johnny? I've never felt so normal in my life. And then I know. Right and your guesses have been epically bad, but they're just yeah, a little closer. <laughs> epically's not even close. Johnny, I'm glad I could do that for you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so question three, if Johnny gets this one right, it's just going to be for honor, unless I change the rules, which I would never do. Um, <laughs> so question three, now we're getting to the board game nerdy part. Which of these is not a real board game in the board game geek hotness? So to make it easy on you, uh, they're, all of these games are actually real games except for the one I made up. So you're really just trying to find the one I made up. But the Board Game Geek Hotness is basically the hottest games on Board Game Geek right now. The games people are searching for. Um, so you made up one of the titles. Yeah. And you have to you're just trying to find the game I made up and the rest are all real. Alright. There's five choices. That's a terrible Ho title for a thing though, by the way. Yeah, the hotness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it annoys me. Um, most popular things annoy me anymore. Uh Board gaming's getting too popular for me. That's the weird thing. It was always like the little niche thing, but it's, it's starting to get too popular for me. Anyways, 
Mm. There's five choices. Call out with your name when you think you know it. That's how you buzz in. Got it? Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So which of these is not a real game? A, Harry Potter House Cup Competition. B, Fort. C, Root. D, London in Flames. E, The Princess Bride Adventure Book Game. Would you like those again? Mm-hmm. Harry Potter House Cup Competition. Fort. Root. London in Flames. The Princess Bride Adventure Book Game. Which of those did I make up and therefore is not in the Board Game Geek hotness list? Anna. Alright. I'm, I'm going to say A. Harry Potter House Cup Competition is a real game. Okay. Which is coming out soon. Oh, that's why I don't know. Because it's coming out. Well, I I'm guess like it's I'm... out somewhere. But it's not probably easily defined yet. Okay. All the games in the hotness are usually games that are not really out yet. Oh, well, see, I was thinking so, I knew all of the Harry Potter games. But if you're a true board game geek, you would be on there looking at the hotness list every day. That's true. Which, by the way, I don't do either, but... Yeah, Anna. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Johnny, do uh, you want to guess? you got Fort, Root, London and Flames, Princess Bride Adventure Book Game. London and Flames. Total shot in the dark. Yes, I made that up. Oh. <laughs> Johnny, you are so normal tonight. Yep. I'm so I'm... proud. <laughs> I'll get you to put tonight there. Make sure <laughs> you should have seen him last Saturday. <laughs> last Saturday, completely different story. <laughs> well, question four. We'll just keep trucking on, even though Johnny has you three to nothing. Uh, the thing is, question four is worth two points. Hmm. I knew it. So, <laughs> how many expansions for terraforming Mars are there? This is not counting promo cards or little like these are actual box expansions for the board game Terraforming Mars, which is a game I own. Um, closest without going over, and we'll make uh, you both of you come up with a number and then just don't cheat. Tell me your number when you're ready. Terraforming Mars is only a few years old, but it's extremely popular. Just to give yeah. you some hints. Yeah, I figured How it many was. Expansions. How many expansions? This isn't a trick question. This is just a legit board gaming question. Can I say? Go ahead. Ten. And it says ten. That was my number. (laughs) Uh, See, Johnny, you're rubbing off on me. I'm becoming more normal as the night goes on. Was that what it was? Is it ten? Do you want to give me a different number or are you going to stick with ten? Well, that's that's hers. I'm going to go seven. Seven. Well, you both went over. It's only five. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, so that only leaves one question. It's still three to nothing. Um, how much is this one worth? This final question is worth one point for every good game that we played for the Shelf of Shame episode. So that's three points, which means this can either win in a crushing victory for Johnny or a tie, because that's how I want to do it. Nice. (laughs) That's how I want to do it. Very nice. So this, speaking of crushing, this game is, is very negative. I mean, this question is very negative. But Board Game Geek is the biggest board game database on the web. And kind of like IMDB is for movies, people just go in there and rate things however they want to rate them. And they tend to be extremely harsh. Um, like the best games on there are still like an 8. eight and like an 8.0 is, is basically a 10. <laughs> That's how harsh they are. Um, but what wait, is the... Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that nerds are harsh to the things they like? Yes. That doesn't like, make any sense. hard on the things they love. Isn't that weird? Yeah, so weird. But which of these is the lowest ranked game on Board Game Geek? I'm going to give you 
four choices and call out with your name when you think you know it, which is the lowest ranked game. And I should tell you that there's probably thousands of games that don't even have enough ratings to be ranked. So the truly worst games aren't even on here probably, but of the games that actually are ranked, which is the worst? Call out your name when you know it. And uh, A is Monopoly. B is Tic-Tac-Toe. C, Shoots and Ladders. D, Battle of the Sexes. Johnny, Tic-Tac-Toe's got to be the worst. Johnny. That's a a horrible game. You have brought shame into our household. Crushed Anna, six to zero. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Tic-Tac-Toe has a surprisingly not as bad as I thought, 2.7 out of 10 rating. It should be lower than that. Yeah, it's really funny. Like, no game is rated a perfect 10. Like, there's basically nothing even rated a 9. But at the same time, like, nothing's like a 1 either. <laughs> how old were you stuff. How old were you when you discovered that Tic-Tac-Toe is a broken game? It's been years ago, and it was disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a broken game, so it should be the lowest. Oh, I discovered it was broken when I was trying to get, um, like, my kindergartners to play it for educational purposes. <laughs> and... Because I hadn't played it in years since I was a kid, you know? Wow. Like, and I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. Because <laughs> it's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah. If, if anyone's... It's if, fixed. Yeah, if, if, you know how to, if you know how to play it, nobody will ever win. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so with 3,100 ratings, it's ranked... This tells you how many <laughs> board games have been ranked. This isn't even all the games. 19,317. Which means there's easily over 20,000 board games listed on this website because most of them aren't even ranked, a lot of them. Uh, If you're curious, Shoots and Ladders is barely above that with a 2.8. Battle of the Sexes is 3.5. And I should say I would rate that game a 1 or 1.5. I think it's truly atrocious and sexist. Yeah, I hate that game. Um, I've never even played it, have I? We did, and uh, we were duped into it. It No, Johnny hadn't played it. Oh, no, you haven't. Um, Didn't sound familiar to me. I was, was gonna make a it joke. It wasn't our game. It it was we yeah. were playing at somebody else's. It's kind of like if you watch like uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, you don't admit it. It's like no, it wasn't our game. We played somebody else's. Okay. Yeah. It, but it really wasn't our. It, game. No, it really wasn't though. I wouldn't buy that. Doth do protest too much? So Monopoly, <laughs> right. by comparison, is rated an astonishing four point four. There we go. Seven thousand ratings. That's my game right there. <laughs> yep. So uh, Johnny, congratulations! You will be my co-host now. And normal. Don't forget normal, that. Which is awkward because I'm married to Anna, but whatever. Yeah. Um, well, she had to be weird to marry you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, in a weird way, yeah. yeah. Johnny came first. That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, That's all I have. Uh, thank you both for joining me on... Hopefully you won't be special guests next time and you'll both just actually be on here more often. But When do we get paid? Uh, Definitely next Tuesday. Okay, good. I'll look um, forward to it. Checks in the mail. Exactly, yeah. It will not bounce all the way back to, to my hands. <laughs> um, Any parting words of wisdom from anybody? No good. We'll see you next time <laughs> on the game. <laughs> Remember to pick your shoes up at the door. It's been raining literally for the last month straight, so you're going to have to actually, you're actually wait over uh, in the rowboat to get out of here, to be honest with you. But we'll see you next time on Cardboard Cave.